those who propagate false doctrines try to say, well, it just you know, it doesn't matter, or you can't understand it, or what difference does it make? But the word says that we ought to do everything in the name of Jesus. It is the name that's above every day. Amen. I'm going to stand in judgment one day for all the sins of my life. I don't want to put my trust in any name that's not above all the rest. I want an absolute pardon. I want every sin to be absolved and removed from my life. I want to stand before God in the hope that I have in Jesus. Oh, there is nothing like the name of Jesus. Amen. We want our ushers to come.
as before. It's time to go wrong. Church, I will make heaven. The Lord tells this story undoubtedly talking about the kingdom of heaven. He told this story in response to some other stories he had told. But when he got to the end of one of them, there was a man that, that piped up and said, Blessed is the man that has bread in heaven. Blessed is the man that can sit down at God's table have bread in heaven. And so the Lord began to tell this story in response about a man that made a great supper, which tells us it's not an ordinary supper. It, it, it's a great supper. You know, this is not the McDonald's McDonald's playground birthday party you wish your kid wasn't invited to. So we all have to remember those. Uh, that's one thing that COVID could have got rid of, but I don't care if it ever bring back. This isn't the dinner party at the restaurant that you don't like to eat at. You know, this isn't the family reunion that you tried everything you can think of to come up with an excuse not to go to. You just ain't in the mood to be reunited. And this is a great supper, and you're invited. This is a great banquet. This is a great dinner. And you are invited. Now, now you can flip your Bible back a few pages to the book of Matthew chapter 22 in, in what is believed to be a telling of the same exact story, the same parable that the Lord mentioned of Matthew 22 and 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven now we know exactly what he's talking about. Is like unto a certain king. Oh, it's not just a man now. It's like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them which were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. And yet he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I prepared my dinner. And then he kind of gives some detail about just how good it is. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready come unto the marriage. Now, we see a little bit in that scripture about where the story is going, but, but before we go there, what else could you have to do that would be more important than a wedding in the king's palace? Anybody got anything else more pressing than something like that? Just a little while ago, there was an interview on television with, with Prince Harry in the United Kingdom and his wife, Megan, and was interviewed by none other than Oprah. And that, that show, that interview, had over 17 million viewers. <laughs> this ain't even Britain. This is the United States. He had a Prince here. 17 million viewers. It was the most watched non-sporting event of the entire year. And then a few years ago, the first thing lot of Prince, Prince William and, and Catherine were married, and the global audience that watched that wedding was estimated at 162 million people. There aren't that many folks in the United Kingdom. 162 million people tuned in to watch Prince William marry his now wife, Catherine. It was a pretty 
the important shit did. How many people would have turned down an invitation to go to their wedding? Folks, I, I'm not even British, but if they invited me, I'm going. Tell everybody I know, I went to the palace. I got to sit at the same table with the prince and the queen. I mean, I'm, I'm not even a British subject, but if I get the invitation in the mail, I'm looking at my flights, I'm going. Who else would say they had an opportunity to go to something like that? How many people in this world, I know somebody would, but how many people in this world would turn down the invitation to be seated at the table with the future queen or king? We'll turn that down. And so that is exactly what we see in Scripture. We see here in these passages that there were those that had been invited to the wedding of the king's son. And the king spared no expense. He poured out his riches to create this magnificent supper and all the invitations were signed and they were sealed and they were delivered. And when it came time for the wedding, there were those that couldn't see the final time. Back in the book of Luke chapter 14, the same place, the Bible tells us in verse 18, and they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground, I must need to go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, it's pretty easy for us to, to look at this and read these verses and see that these really are pretty flimsy excuses. Who buys a piece of ground without ever going and looking at it? I mean, there, there are no Rockefellers sitting on the pews today. If you've got enough money to go buy a piece of land, you're probably going to make sure it's worth the money you've got. Who buys a yoke of oxen without knowing what kind of oxen they're buying? I mean, I know the day in which we live, you can't buy cars on a lot, and they go through all these certifications and checks, and, and they give you confidence, and there are plenty of people that buy them. But, but for a long, long time, before any of that stuff existed, you didn't buy a car without getting in it. Unless you knew the person, you put all your faith and trust in them, you were going to buy something, somebody you didn't know. You showed up and you got inside, and you drove it down the road, and you tested out all the, the systems to make sure that what you were buying was worthwhile. Who buys a yoke of oxen without knowing what kind of oxen they are? Who knows what's going on with the man that has a wife? He didn't even say he recently married. But we like to chalk that up anyway. That's all he said is, I've married a wife. So I don't know what was going on with him, what his excuse was, but, but no matter how you look at it, no matter how you, you read these verses, they sure seem like silly reasons to miss this supper. They sure seem like awful dumb reasons to come up with for why you can't go to the marriage of the king's son. But let's face it, how many people in this world are going to miss heaven over silly things? How many people are never going to see streets of gold and walls of jasper and gates made of pearl because
difference whatsoever. Let's get past that for a Because I think there's just a little bit more of these verses that we can squeeze out. I know they seem like flimsy, silly excuses, but, but really, truly, what are the things that are keeping them from coming to the supper? Assuming they're not just lying and making these things up, but they actually do have these other things to go and do. What is it that they're actually making an excuse for? Well, the first person says, I've got a piece of ground. I've got some land. I've got some land that I purchased. I have possessions. I have possessions. How many people miss out on God because of their possessions? How many people let houses and cars and, and how many people yet let the bank account or the lack thereof? How many people let all the things that they have and, and maybe the social standing that comes along with that? How many people this heaven because of the things that they have? It's no wonder the Lord Jesus made this statement. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Because riches have a way of consuming you to the point that there never seems to be room for God. Well, then we come to the next man. The next man has a young oxen that I've got to go and prove. How do you prove oxen? Well, you load them up. You put the burden on them and you take them out of the field. You start plowing some dirt to see if they've got the strength that the seller said. They've got the strength. So what do you do with oxen? You, you work with them. So how many people in this world are going to miss heaven over their jobs? How many people are going to miss heaven because... Somewhere along the line, they decided that making it to work became more important than making it to church. Come on, somebody. I mean, how many folks out there somewhere along the How many men? Let's just pick on the men for a little bit. It's almost Father's Day. How many men somewhere along the way made up in their minds that it was a higher calling? To put in 40 hours a week and bring home a paycheck than it was to lead their family to serve God. I'm not telling you they'll never go to work. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. But there's a big divide between having enough food to eat and a roof over your head and all the wants and the possessions of this world we think we've got to have. And the jobs that we so choose to get us to that point. How many people are going to miss heaven? Because the church was open three times a week and they, they, they might have made it once. How many folks let their jobs consume them to the point that there's no time for God? But then there's a third man. The man that they said he married a wife. What could the wife be? Well, that's a relationship. It's a relationship with another person. It is an important relationship outside of your walk with God. It is, it is the most important relationship that, that married adults have. It, it, it is a relationship. But let me ask this question. How many people are going to miss heaven because of relationships? How many people 
somewhere along the line, put that person and their relationship with that person in a higher place of priority to God. When your out-of-town relatives show up on Saturday night, because they come to visit you, and Sunday morning rolls around, are you getting up and going to church, or are you having a picnic?
It's amazing when somebody confronts you at times with what is really a flimsy excuse. It's amazing sometimes when somebody is speaking or preaching truth into your life and you really don't feel like hearing it. It's not good enough to ignore it. It's not good enough to say, oh, we have disagreed and disagreed and walk on your way. You have to attack it. You have to come after it. You have to tear down the truth that's in front of you because it don't mix well with these things. So they attack and they kill the servants. But it gets worse for them. Verse 7 says, When the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. I think I might look for it I live long enough to see this in people's lives. God's serious about not having any other gods before Him. And there's times, most especially in the life of the child of God, if somewhere along the way you so choose to put something in God's place, God will burn up that thing you put on His seat. I've seen people walk out the door for jobs and for relationships and for possessions and in just a short while they found themselves with none of those things because God says, I'm a jealous God. You're not going to have any other gods before me. There's something else I want to point out to you in these scriptures. Because we know what God's ultimate response is going to be, right? I mean, we, we understand that He is a just God. We know that that no excuse is going to hold up on Judgment Day. It doesn't matter how many possessions you have. Your heart's not right with God, you're going to be lost. It doesn't matter how much work you had to do. When everything in this world passes away and nothing's left, if your soul's not right, you're going to be lost. It doesn't matter how much you love Him. Doesn't matter how much that relationship meant to you in this life. If you stand before God unprepared, you're both going to be lost. This is the response that God's going to have at Judgment Day. The flimsy excuses. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11. Some familiar scriptures to many of you. And I saw a great white throne. Him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in the death and hell, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. This is what becomes of things excuses. This is what becomes of those whose names are not written down in the invitation list to heaven. If you've not taken your sins and put them under the blood of Jesus, if you've not been filled with His precious Spirit, if all is not well with your soul, this is what becomes of the excuse of every man for why he could come today. But no matter how sobering this is, 
matter how sobering it might be for some that are here today, this is really not the lie that I've come to preach to you about because so far I've just told you the truth. It's a truth that the Lord is coming. It's truth that those that aren't saved now are going to be lost in. But the lie that I've come to preach about is what we see in this very same story. Back in Luke chapter 14, verse 21 says, So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. The servant came and told him the excuses, told him of the servants that had been slain. He told him the report of everything that everybody come up with. And it says, Then the master of the house being angry, same response we see in the other, the other rendition. The same thing that we see in the book of Revelation. Unrepentant sin gets judged. Those that never have time for God, although God loves us very much now, the day will come when they stand before Him and their sins will make Him angry. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, What me to do, Master? How do you want me to deal with this? What actions do you want me to take? The Master says, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city. Maybe not all of you are thinking this. I know some of you know what these verses say, but there's some human nature in some of us. That if we got self-righteous enough about how much sin we don't do and how much sin all those folks out there do do, we might be thinking the time has now come. We might have got a little bit of that, that righteous indignation that David wrote about sometimes in the book of Psalms. It was like, how long, Lord? How long, Lord, are you going to let my enemies run around and make fun of me before you have out? How, many, how long is it going to be, God, before you take vengeance and the enemies of your people? I wonder if maybe in the mind, the servant's mind could erase a little bit. So should I go out and take them out? Should I go out and haul them up on charges? Because after all, you're the king, and nobody tells the king I ain't coming. The king said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. You see, this story was not written. The Lord did not speak these parables just for the ungodly. It wasn't written down for us to read today just for the lost and for them to realize that their flimsy excuses are never going to hold up to God's righteous judgment. But it's also written for the servants. It's also written for those that serve the king. Because no matter who declines the invitation, no matter how mad the master may get at those that walked away and how foolish they may have been for doing so. The master, the king, still wants the house filled. Regardless of flimsy excuses, regardless of foolish choices, there's still going to be a wedding that 
that takes place. There's still a great feast that's been prepared. The master said, I'll kill the fat calf. I'll open up the barns. I'll spread out the tables. I'll spare no expense. Everything has now been made ready. And I'm looking eyeball, eyeball in my servants, saying there better be some people in those seats when the music strikes up. You better go out into the highways and the highways and fill up my house. I'm coming to preach to a church today that you got to stop believing the lie that just because the table spread and just because the house is on the hill that they're coming.
preaching this message today because the day is coming when our God, who's right now sitting on the seat of mercy, will get up out of that chair. And he'll go sit down on the throne of judgment. But you and I are not him. His word, he himself commanded us. He says, vengeance is mine, I will pay, saith the Lord. Which tells you and I, don't concern yourself with God's judgment. Judgment day will come. Whether we want to or not. Whether men believe in it or not. Whether they ever confess Jesus or not. Judgment day is going to come. That's not the job of the servants right now. We can sit back and we can point fingers at what looks like a world that is just falling into more and more wickedness. And we can say, look at those ungrateful sinners. Listen to all those dumb excuses. Nobody wants this message. Nobody wants to hear truth. Nobody wants to live holy anymore. It's just us handful of folks. We just got to hold on for a little while longer until Jesus comes. I come to tell you, church, that's not our job. That's not what God has called us to do. He built a city on a hill so we can stand at the top of the wall and look down our noses at the same sinful world He took us out of. He called us to go out, to open up the doors, to walk out of the city, to get all of our cues, and to get out and away from all the things that distract us and consume us. Hear this truth. You gotta hear this message. 
Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out of the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good.
It wouldn't take a whole lot for it to make social distancing absolutely impossible. We've seen it in this church a few times. Maybe it's a special service. Maybe it's a funeral of somebody who's been a lot to a lot of people. But on average, I would say most of us have never really seen it consistently before. So what should that do to us tomorrow morning when we show up at the office? What should that do to us when our kids walk back into those schools in a couple months? What should that do to us when we're walking in the store and we see somebody and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost moves on us? We don't even know why. We're just drawn to that person. I'm going to tell you what it ought to do to us. Luke 14 and 23 says that the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. That my house may be filled. Scripture I read a moment ago said they went out and they brought them in. Both bad. Everybody that comes and sits on these pews are both dead. I wish that weren't true, but it is. Everybody not baptized in Jesus' name, they hear it. Everybody I've seen pray through to the gift of the Holy Ghost ain't here today. There are those that have heard the truth and know the truth, but they're not walking the truth today. But that's not my job. If I can make it, I'll make it. But I can't. God won't. It's not our job. Our job is to compel them to come in. It's interesting, he made sure they understood something. Because the servants of the king would never have gone to places he told them to go unless he said so. They had never went after the blind. They had never dared bring a lame man into the king's house. They had never went into the highways and the hedges. But the king said, I want you to go everywhere. It don't matter what they look like. It don't matter what he is and what isn't wrong with him. It doesn't matter where they came from. It doesn't matter whether you think that we were sent to this message or you think that we'll reject it. He said, don't concern yourself with that. You just go out. Every man, every woman you encounter, if there's enough seats in my house, tell them there's a seat for them. Amen. This message is for everybody. This message is for anybody. There's nobody too far gone. There's nobody too sinful. There's nobody too dirty. All that matters is that there's still room in the house. Amen. We've got to compel them. We've got to get over being uncomfortable. We've got to get over being cowardly. We've got to get over thinking we've got another opportunity. If they're living, and if they're breathing, and if they're standing in front of us, they're 
a text message. It weren't a phone call. It weren't a Bible study. It weren't an invite to church. The Pope is a table set. There's a seat for the of God's house. If you're lost today, there's a seat prepared for you. Would you come to this altar and repent of your sins? You're not ready to meet God today. There's a seat waiting on you on God's table. Come and let me you with the Holy Ghost. If you're not going to witness, if you're not telling anybody about God, if you're sitting back with whatever excuse you might be for why you can't do a word for the Lord, come down to this altar and repent. Repent of every excuse.